Story number seven of The Toys of Peace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Redman. The Toys of Peace Short Stories by Saki. The Guests. "'The landscape seen from our windows is certainly charming,' said Annabel. "'Those cherry orchards and green meadows and the river winding along the valley, "'and the church tower peeping out among the elms, "'they all make a most effective picture. "'There's something dreadfully sleepy and languorous about it, though. "'Stagnation seems to be the dominant note. "'Nothing ever happens here.' seed-time and harvest, an occasional outbreak of measles or a mildly destructive thunderstorm, and a little election excitement about once in five years, that is all that we have to modify the monotony of our existence. Rather dreadful, isn't it? On the contrary, said Matilda, I find it soothing and restful. "'But then, you see, I've lived in countries where things do happen, ever so many at a time, when you're not ready for them happening all at once.' "'That, of course, makes a difference,' said Annabel. "'I have never forgotten,' said Matilda, "'the occasion when the Bishop of Beccar paid us an unexpected visit. He was on his way to lay the foundation stone of a mission-house or something of the sort.' "'I thought that out there you were always prepared for emergency guests turning up,' said Annabel. "'I was quite prepared for half a dozen bishops,' said Matilda. "'But it was rather disconcerting to find out after a little conversation "'that this particular one was a distant cousin of mine, "'belonging to a branch of the family that had quarrelled bitterly and offensively with our branch "'about a Crown Derby dessert service.' They got it, and we ought to have got it in some legacy, or else we got it, and they thought they ought to have it. I forget which. Anyhow, I know they behaved disgracefully. Now here was one of them turning up in the odour of sanctity, so to speak, and claiming the traditional hospitality of the East. It was rather trying, but you could have left your husband to do most of the entertaining. My husband was fifty miles up country, talking sense, or what he imagined to be sense, to a village community that fancied one of their leading men was a were-tiger. A what tiger? A were-tiger. You've heard of werewolves, haven't you? A mixture of wolf and human being and demon? Well, in those parts they have were-tigers, or think they have, and I must say that in this case— so far as sworn and uncontested evidence went, they had every ground for thinking so. However, as we gave up witchcraft prosecutions about three hundred years ago, we don't like to have other people keeping on our discarded practices. It doesn't seem respectful to our mental and moral position. "'I hope you weren't unkind to the bishop,' said Annabel. "'Well, of course he was my guest,' so I had to be outwardly polite to him, but he was tactless enough to rake up the incidents of the old quarrel, and to try to make out that there was something to be said for the way his side of the family had behaved, even if there was, 
which I don't for a moment admit, my house was not the place in which to say it. I didn't argue the matter, but I gave my cook a holiday to go and visit his aged parents some ninety miles away. The emergency cook was not a specialist in curries. In fact, I don't think cooking in any shape or form could have been one of his strong points. I believe he originally came to us in the guise of a gardener, but as we never pretended to have anything that could be considered a garden, he was utilised as assistant goat-herd, in which capacity, I understand, he gave every satisfaction. When the bishop heard that I had sent away the cook on a special and unnecessary holiday, he saw the inwardness of the manoeuvre, and from that moment we were scarcely on speaking terms. If you have ever had a bishop with whom you were not on speaking terms staying in your house, you will appreciate the situation. Annabel confessed that her life story had never included such a disturbing experience. Then, continued Matilda, to make matters more complicated, the Guadalupici overflowed its banks, a thing it did every now and then when the rains were unduly prolonged, and the lower part of the house and all the outbuildings were submerged. We managed to get the ponies loose in time, and the scythe swam the whole lot of them off to the nearest rising ground. A goat or two, the chief goat herd, the chief goat herd's wife, and several of their babies came to anchorage in the veranda. All the rest of the available space was filled up with wet, bedraggled-looking hens and chickens. One never really knows how many fowls one possesses till the servants' quarters are flooded out. Of course, I had been through something of the sort in previous floods, but never before had I had a house full of goats and babies and half-drowned hens, supplemented by a bishop with whom I was hardly on speaking terms. It must have been a trying experience, commented Annabel. More embarrassments were to follow. I wasn't going to let a mere ordinary flood wash out the memory of that Crown Derby dessert service, and I intimated to the bishop that his large bedroom, with a writing-table in it, and his small bathroom with a sufficiency of cold water jars in it, was his share of the premises, and that space was rather congested under the existing circumstances. However, at about three o'clock in the afternoon, when he had awakened from his midday sleep, he made a sudden incursion into the room that was normally the drawing-room, but was now dining-room, storehouse, saddle-room, and half a dozen other temporary premises as well, from the condition of my guest's costume, he seemed to think it might also serve as his dressing-room. "'I'm afraid there is nowhere for you to sit,' I said coldly. "'The veranda is full of goats.' "'There is a goat in my bedroom,' he observed with equal coldness and more than a suspicion of sardonic reproach. "'Really?' I said. "'Another survivor? I thought all the other goats were done for.' "'This particular goat is quite done for,' he said. "'It is being devoured by a leopard at the present moment. "'That is why I left the room. "'Some animals resent being watched while they are eating.' "'The leopard, of course, was easily explained. "'It had been hanging round the goat-sheds when the flood came, "'and had clambered up by the outside staircase leading to the bishop's bathroom, "'thoughtfully bringing a goat with it. Probably it found the bathroom too damp and shut in for its taste, 
and transferred its banqueting operations to the bedroom while the bishop was having his nap. "'What a frightful situation!' exclaimed Annabel. "'Fancy having a ravening leopard in the house with a flood all round you.' "'Not in the least ravening,' said Matilda. "'It was full of goat, had any amount of water at its disposal if it felt thirsty, and probably had no more immediate wish than a desire for uninterrupted sleep.' Still, I think anyone will admit that it was an embarrassing predicament to have your only available guest-room occupied by a leopard, the veranda choked up with goats and babies and wet hens, and a bishop with whom you were scarcely on speaking terms planted down in your only sitting-room. I really don't know how I got through those crawling hours, and of course meal-times only made matters worse." The emergency cook had every excuse for sending in watery soup and sloppy rice, and as neither the chief goatherd nor his wife were expert divers, the cellar could not be reached. Fortunately, the Guadalipici subsides as rapidly as it rises, and just before dawn the syce came splashing back with the ponies only fetlock deep in water. Then there arose some awkwardness from the fact that the bishop wished to leave sooner than the leopard did, and as the latter was ensconced in the midst of the former's personal possessions, there was an obvious difficulty in altering the order of departure. I pointed out to the bishop that a leopard's habits and tastes are not those of an otter, and that it naturally preferred walking to wading, and that in any case a meal of an entire goat washed down with tub-water justified a certain amount of repose. If I had had guns fired to frighten the animal away as the bishop suggested, it would probably merely have left the bedroom to come into the already overcrowded drawing-room. Altogether it was rather a relief when they both left. Now perhaps you can understand my appreciation of a sleepy countryside where things don't happen. End of The Guests Recording by Graham Redman